an Advent theme. So let me uh, start with the basics. As, as many as you did, I probably... Uh, anybody used to think that Advent was just some religious ceremony that just old dead religious churches did and that didn't really have a place within evangelicalism? That's the way I, th- I got saved into a very... Um, non-denominational, um, lowly liturgical church. So words like Advent or Lent, if you said those to me, I would say, ah, that's old religious stuff. We don't celebrate those things here. We celebrate the fact that we are free in Christ. That's about how much I understood about Advent. Well, Advent is actually a Latin term and it just means coming and it means that we celebrate his coming that Christ came into the world and we light candles as a celebration that the light of the world came into the world to rescue us and as a reminder that the light of the world is coming back into this world again that he did not leave us for good but he is alive forevermore and that he is seated at the right hand of the father and that he is going to return and he is going to reclaim that which is his and we will be we will be spotless we will be without wrinkle without blemish we will be his perfect bride on that day of his second coming that's why we celebrate the advent so our series is called the good news of Advent, and the big idea is that most of the truths that we celebrate as gospel truths or truths pertaining to the good news of Jesus Christ are usually Easter truths. I mean, after all, think about all the things that you celebrate on Easter. We celebrate his death for our sin. We celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate his teaching um, the disciples why it was necessary for the Christ to come and to die and to suffer. We see him showing himself and demonstrating that he is, in fact, the true king. But the series that we're calling the good news of Christmas is because we intend to show you five gospel truths that are absolutely critical for the good news. And you couldn't have good news without these truths that happened on Christmas. So December 4th, we're going to look at the story of the Word who put on flesh out of John 1. And that sermon's going to be a tracking of the many stories throughout the Bible. And that those were not intended to be isolated stories, but they were intended to point to the story, a story. It was supposed to point to a Redeemer. On December 11th, we're going to look at why God had to put on flesh. Have you ever stopped to think about that? When you read Philippians 2, that God put on flesh to dwell among us, that's a Christmas passage. John 1, he's the Word who became flesh to dwell among us. That's pertaining to Christmas. God had to put on flesh, just like you and me, Or else this whole story of redemption would not have worked. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why? Why couldn't you have chosen another plan? Why did you have to put on flesh just like you and me to make that work? Well, that's a Christmas story that you need for the gospel to be the gospel. December 18th, we're going to look at how he became poor so that we could become rich. I can't wait for that sermon because we are so much more rich than we will ever, ever 
No. I mean, Ephesians 1 tells you, you've literally been giving all of the riches in Christ Jesus. Think about that. He didn't say like, hey, I'm going to pick some of you and I'm going to lavish some of the blessings that are in Christ Jesus and others I'll ration some, but I've only got a little storehouse, so I have to ration blessings out to a few people at a time. No, he said each one of you who are in Christ have been blessed with all of the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus, meaning that he became absolute poverty so that you could become the fullness of riches on his behalf. December 24th, we are going to look at on Christmas Eve that he was born as the greater Adam who passed the greater test in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed to the Father, not my will, but thine be done, passing the test that the first Adam was not able to pass on our behalf. And December 25th, we are just going to celebrate the fact that God had a plan to allow us to worship him. How often do you just stop and think about that? Just the fact that we can gather to worship him is a privilege. That's not your right. That's not, you don't take ownership of that by being born. You were born in a place of enmity against him. So it was far from your birthright. In fact, your birthright was one of shaking your fist at him. But he gave you a new birthright when he gave you a new birth in Christ. And now because of that, we can, we can worship him. Worship is the great cosmic get-to. This isn't a have-to. If any of you guys have read John Piper's Desiring God, it's like the analogy of when you give your wife a set of roses and they're beautiful and you're like, here, take these, they're pretty, but I figured it's fulfilling my husbandly obligation, so you might as well take them. Hope you enjoy them. There you go. No wife's going to... That's a have-to. We don't worship Christ out of this obligatory have-to. We get to worship Jesus. And I hope that impacts you this Christmas season. This week, I want to point to why thankfulness is a huge part of the gospel. And let me make clear what I'm not saying so you don't leave here thinking, well, Pastor Eric is a heretic. I'm not saying that thankfulness saves you. Um, thankfulness doesn't save you. The cross saves you. But what I'm going to make the case for is though Every single person who encountered Jesus Christ in Scripture was over-exuberant with gratitude over meeting Jesus and then lived a life of gratitude as a result of meeting Jesus. And I'm going to start off with Simeon and Anna. So if you would turn with me to verses 22 of Luke chapter 2, it will also be projected up behind me. It says, And when the time came... For their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present them to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, meaning they were broke. They couldn't afford a bigger sacrifice. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him 
by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and a glory for all your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled about what was said about it. Who wouldn't? I mean, think about it. You're bringing your kid for a baby dedication, and all of a sudden, that's your baby dedication. You're going to marvel if somebody says that about your kid. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many, and for the sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that the thoughts of the hearts of many will be revealed. Lastly, I wanted to read about this prophetess Anna. Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, I want to ask you a question. What's the longest? Think about this. So I want you to close your eyes, because I don't believe that you guys actually think when you open your eyes. Close your eyes. I won't mug you or anything, I promise. What's the longest you've ever waited for something? Just close your eyes and think for a minute. Right, you, can, you, you, you can open up. If you don't have an answer by now, then I'm not going to wait all service. But uh, I am not sure about you, but waiting has never been my strong point. Anyone, anyone who knows me will tell you that. I want everything done yesterday. Um, I'm not, uh, I know that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. God still has some work to do on me in that area. Um, thankfully, patience and waiting are not exactly synonyms. That's the way I get away with it. So I'm not real good at waiting, but I'm awesome at patience. Um, but I actually went on a man on the streets interview to fulfill this question. So I wanted to know how good people were at waiting. So I went and, and I talked to some people leading up to this sermon and told people that I was writing something about Christmas and I wanted to get an idea what's the longest they've ever had to wait for something. Here's some answers that I, I, I got. I had one guy tell me that he was waiting a year and a half for a guy to complete his end of a trade that they made on Craigslist. So... It would tick me off, right, if you're that dude? Like, you deliver your goods and you're waiting a year and a half? I mean, that's a long time. But comparatively to waiting 84 years for Anna, not so long. Um, okay, I, I had several answers from people who have waited very long for a date or for that special person to come along. I met a Russian man who waited for three years for his wife to be granted her paperwork to move here to America to be with her husband. That's, that's got to be a tough one. And I was thinking of this one time when I was going on a mission trip, and it was supposed to be a red eye, 
the whole goal being we had, we had little babies. Elijah was an infant, Grace was a two-year-old, and we thought they'll sleep on the airplane and then they'll wake up. Well, the airplane set taxiing for like four of those six hours, so it was a not red eye when it took off. And it felt like an eternity when there's people that are getting angry at you because your baby's tired. And it's like, you ever been in that situation when you're on an airplane and somebody's just like getting mad and you're just like, what do you think I'm doing? Do you think I'm squeezing the kid? Like, I mean, like, I'm the one that's up front and personal getting literally screamed in my face this far away. So sorry that you up there in the big old couches sitting up front in the luxury seats that you're a little bit annoyed. If you want to take the baby, go ahead. You take him for a little bit if you think that you're such an awesome parent at this. And I don't know how I got off on that tangent about waiting, but... <laughs> Waiting is not an easy thing to do, man. I, I imagine that, and then imagine waiting every day for your whole life. I mean, not just waiting your whole life. I'm not kidding when I tell you that I get antsy when something that I order on Amazon Prime isn't there the next day. I, I, I start to like check and see if it's shipped yet. I go and check the routing numbers, and I'm like, why isn't it here yet? I ordered it last night at midnight. They should, <laughs> I mean, like, it doesn't even have to be important. It can be like, you know, one of these little clips for a mic stand that duct tape would do the trick. Um, but, man, it, 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 it's crazy. And I, and I know that, that Dan's like that, too, because he'll knock on my office and be like, hey, did that mic stand come in yet that I'm waiting for that I ordered this morning? And, you know, we, we get that feeling like, oh, it's never going to get here. So imagine waiting your entire life for the most important event of all time to take place. They must have been running to the mailbox daily. Look at their responses. I, I, I mean, first, he took him up in his arms. Guys, I want you to think about that. What that must have been like. You've been waiting for the Messiah your whole life. And here, the parents of God in flesh come up and hand them to you, and you get to hold God in your arms that you've been waiting for, for your whole entire life. In verse 28, we're told that he blesses God, that he even gets to be a part of this moment. He then goes and tells these people in this word of poetry, he says, God, thank you. I've lived a full life. I can depart in peace. Do you get what he's saying there? You know what that means when he's saying it? He's like, I, I'm, it's okay if I die now. I, I'm so content. I've been waiting so long for this day. Um, like, we can use that stuff as, like, hyperbole. Like, we can go to Cheesecake Factory and be like, oh, this is so good, I can die in peace. But you don't really mean that about a piece of cheesecake, do you? But this guy held the Messiah in his arms. And he says, this, this is okay. God, you can take me now. This is what I've wanted to be here for all along to begin with. And then verse 30, he thanks God and he says that he's literally able to hold salvation in his arms. Think about that. Think about that concept. I am holding the salvation of the universe so fragile in my arms. And I'll bet you didn't even use sanitizer. Um, then he gives thanks for this child in light of 
all the promises that were supposed to be about this child. And then he expresses gratitude to the parents for letting him partake in this moment. And then it says that he glorifies God again. And then you have this woman, Anna. And Anna just blows my mind. 84 years she had spent worshiping at the temple. That's wild to me. Most pastors last five years at a job that they take. This woman had spent 84 years worshiping at the same church. So just to put that in perspective. And you don't know quite as much about Anna as you do about Simeon, but we know that she didn't leave the temple day or night. We know that she devoted her whole life to the day that she would be able to hold her Messiah in peace And in this sermon on the connection between Advent and Thanksgiving, it clearly says in verse 38 that she just began pouring out her heart in thanksgiving for this Savior. And she was able to see the one who would be the blessing to all the nations. Guys, stories like this is why I love biblical theology so much. Can you think of another man way back in the Bible that was way advanced in years? that he was promised that he would hold a child that would be a promised child that would be a light to all the nations. And this promise probably seemed like it didn't come true because he was really getting up there in years. So he probably thought that he would have to fudge it some way to make this promise come true. Yet the older he got, the more difficult the promise became. He even made his wife snicker because the promise was so outlandish at this point. Yet Abraham not only held his own child, but he held the child that through him would become the hope of all nations. Abraham was a type of Simeon and a type of Anna in this passage. And he would even go up to Mount Moriah with that child as a picture of the redemption of the nations, just as Anna prophesied that he would in this passage. Brothers and sisters, gratitude does not save us. The sinless life, the atoning cross of Christ, and the resurrection over death is what saves us. But I want to point out something really important. That these first people to behold the King, there is not a person who receives or holds or touches or encounters the King that does not do so. That's just overrun with gratitude. I'm going to give you a few more examples of people who received this Christ child, but I want to tell you, every single person who received him, received him full of hearts of gratitude. There's no such thing as, I prayed this prayer to receive Jesus in my heart, but I don't really have gratitude for him. I'm not really living for him. I don't really have a a life that's intended to do anything for him. Christ is not really much to me, but I did pray a prayer to receive Jesus in my heart just in case I needed some fire insurance someday. Um, There's no such thing as I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus in my heart, but I don't have any gratitude for what he's done for me. I was at a service and they said, hey, if you're here and you want to go to heaven, raise your hand when I pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven. That doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. 
The people that encountered Jesus, their lives were wrecked afresh when they encountered Jesus. And not only were they wrecked afresh, they were like, wow, everything's different. This is the thing that changes everything. So I want to ask you, has Jesus become the thing that changes everything? Or is he an ornament or a knick-knack that you stick on your shelf that you sometimes every once in a while break out when your religious friends come over? People who encountered Christ in salvation overwhelmingly always responded in gratitude. And I just want to ask your heart some questions. Has there been deep gratitude over your salvation? I'm asking your hearts. I can't see the inside of your hearts, so I don't know what the answer is. You don't have to nod your head so I can... I'm not trying to guess what the answer is either. Has there been a deep gratitude over your salvation? Do you find yourself daily... I mean daily, not like... Daily is kind of hyperbole for monthly. Um, Daily... Before your feet hit the ground, thanking God, oh God, I'm alive. I I am alive. You have breathed eternal life into my lungs, and I will live with you forever and ever. Often, I stand amazed at how often Christians complain about pretty trivial junk. And I mean junk. Like, hey, can I complain to you for the 5,000th time this week? How would taking the time to actually give thanks for your salvation help you grow in areas where you are inclined to complain about every little thing that doesn't go our way? And then we have the shepherds. So we move on from Simeon and Anna I'm going to read the whole shepherd's passage in one of these other weeks, so I'll forgo reading the whole passage. But imagine this moment. This is it. And they chose the most random people ever to reveal the Son of God to. There is not even a job that I can compare shepherds to today because they were considered unclean by merit of their work. They were considered to stay away from us. We cannot touch you. You are defiled and you are unclean. The closest thing I can come up to it, um, Tara, you were at the park with me when they were cleaning the Porta Johns the other day. That dude was probably unclean. That, that was foul. Um, no offense if any of you do that, but pro- actually props to any of you who do that, because, wow. Um, but we don't have unclean and clean jobs. We might look at some who has chosen a life of crime as choosing an unclean job, but for the most part, we just say that there's blue-collar work and there's white-collar work. But we wouldn't have a problem with Christ revealing himself to a bunch of blue-collar folks, would we? I mean, that's kind of the way that we've come to think of Christ. We have a very blue-collar Christ in this world today. And thank God, I'm glad that we've gotten rid of the stained-glass Christ and that we have returned to a blue-collar Christ. Most of us fit into that category. or um, and Not only would you be surprised by who he appeared to, you would have been freaked out by who he appeared to if you saw that he appeared to a bunch of shepherds. Imagine Redeemer Fellowship is where Jesus decides to return. 
Uh, use your imagination for a minute. Like I'm standing here and preaching and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool. That's Jesus. Um, we'd be a bit surprised. We'd probably think that we were off on a bit of interpretation of, scri- of prophecies and scriptures. But I think we'd be thankful, right? We'd be like, I got to be there. I got to see it when Jesus came. That's the way that these guys felt. But once again, man, you just see someone responding in deep, deep gratitude. So much so that they run to Bethlehem. They want to be a part of this scene. They can't believe that the high and mighty Christ would appear to the lowly shepherds like them. Do you ever take time, honestly, Man, if the answer is no, take time to do it now. I don't want anybody leaving here with the answer being no to this question. Do you ever take time to reflect that it's no different for you? That Christ revealed himself to lowly old you. You're no better than the shepherds. You're no, um, there's no reason that you should have been appeared to more than the shepherds. You were no less unclean than the shepherds. You're no less unworthy than the shepherds. You were no more lovable than the shepherds. You were more, no more savable than the shepherds. You could keep going on and on with this list. Do you ever take the time to just think, wow, Christ revealed himself to lowly me. Why? Why me, Lord? I'm going to leave here. I'm going to drive down the street and nine out of ten cars that I'm going to pass, you have not revealed yourself to. They don't know who you are. They're driving to a potential Christless eternity and tomorrow could be the day that they go on to be without you forever. Yet you chose in your infinite mercy to show yourself to me? Me? Are you sure that you didn't pick the wrong guy? Have you seen what I've done? Have you ever sat in amazement like that? And I'm, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, man. Like, how can we go into the Advent season if we've never just sat there and been truly amazed? Me! Jesus, you chose me. You came and did that. You were born in a manger because you love me. You love my family so much. That you were born a humble in pig's feed because you love me. You grew up a man of no repute because you love me. You were nailed to a cross because you love me. If you ever took the time to realize that, I promise you, your thankfulness would rise and your complaining would begin to deplete. It's a fact. Everybody who would encounter this child, it was prophesied that they would experience gratitude. I wanted to go through all the Old Testament um, prophecies of gratitude, but I knew that I was going to be running long, so I'm not going to. But throughout the Old Testament, they predicted that this coming Messiah would be worshipped. They predicted that people would bring tribute to him. They predicted that he would be the only one that would ever be worthy of our thanksgiving and our praise. And I want you guys to just compare that real quick to Luke chapter 17 and the ten lepers that went away. There's always this story told. And you know what? 
Uh, the story is always told on behalf of the one leper that returns and not the nine that went away, right? Any th- sermon, anybody ever hear a sermon about the nine? It's always about the one, right? The one that came back. <laughs> Nobody really tells what happened about the nine. Let me ask you a question. These ten lepers come. They're all cleansed by Jesus. Nine of them go away. One comes back. Do you really think that the other nine were not grateful? I mean, they walked away with limbs falling off of their body. And then after they leave, there's no longer limbs falling off their body. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they were pretty stinking grateful for what happened. They didn't return. That's what we know in the story. They didn't come back. They didn't thank Jesus. But we do know that their arms weren't falling off anymore when they left. That's a big deal. Okay? Can, can we acknowledge that's a big deal? Like, if you went from your, like, nose falling off to all of a sudden not falling off, you'd probably be stoked about that when you left. Okay? So, they're grateful. I'll tell you what the difference is. The reason why I wanted to use them in the beginning of my Advent passage, they could be as grateful as they want, but they forgot to express that gratitude. And forgetting to express that gratitude they forgot to express worship. We could be deeply grateful for the truths that we celebrate all Advent long. I'm going to bring you guys a new truth about Jesus every single week this Advent. But if we're grateful for it and it doesn't bring us to worship, we have not worshipped. We're like the nine lepers because I guarantee you that they were grateful. Let us not be found like the nine lepers. Let us be like the one. Like I said in the beginning, just consider the gospel truths that we have to be grateful for pertaining to this Christmas intro series. The story of the Word who became flesh. Why He put on flesh? To come and save you because He had to. He became poor so that we could become rich. He became the greater Adam because the first Adam failed and He became the unfailing one. And he created a plan to receive our worship. As we pause and consider these, we should be grateful. They should lead us to worship. Let's not just stop here. Let me just give you some gratitude-based application right here from the Christmas story of this passage. First of all, thankful people are content people. If you're constantly having a problem with your contentment, if the words, hey, I just want to tell you about, which actually mean I just want to complain about, come out of your mouth like nine times a day. Um, Thankful people are content people. Number two, thankful people are generous people because as Christ became poor so that we become rich, we become poor so that others can become rich. You'll never meet a thankful, greedy person. Ever. If you want to show me that you're thankful, whip out your checkbook. You'll never meet a thankful, greedy person. And by the way, I'm not saying that because I want your money. I don't care about your money. I care about your soul. You will never meet a thankful, greedy person. Number three, thankfulness always was always an antidote for pride and self-righteousness. And instead, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Thankfulness is always an antidote for pride and self-righteousness. And the last is thankfulness always results in worship. 
Thankfulness has to result in worship. Guys, the gospel is not just, I heard the facts about Jesus. They sound decent. Yeah, I'll put my faith in those facts about Jesus. All right, I'll pray to believe Jesus. You've got to fall in love with Jesus. You've got to be. There's no gospel without love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. How can we take a God who so loved us and not see love and gratitude as just part of what we give back in this Advent season? Let our hearts be moved to gratitude. Jesus, thank you so much that we don't have to contrive things to be gratitude uh, grateful for. I don't have to sit here and think of a million things to be grateful for. Lord, you created a plan before the foundation of the world. You chose us before the foundation of the world. You were the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. You came and you died a sinner's death so that we might receive the king's ransom. Jesus, you took the ultimate punishment so that we could have the ultimate gift in its replace. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.